the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah, yeah, the holidays and all that. But it's that magical time when both college football and college basketball are in play. We've talked about college football twice on this show, so it felt wrong that we didn't have any representation of my favorite sport, college basketball. Enter Dana O'Neill, whose book, The Big East, Inside the Most Entertaining and Influential Conference in College Basketball History, is out now. Dana is a senior writer at The Athletic and has been covering college basketball for more than three decades. She also served as president of the U.S. Basketball Writers Association, only the second woman to hold this position, by the way. So when Dana says the Big East is fascinating, she knows her stuff. Take a listen to our conversation. Thank you so much for being here today, Dana. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I was talking to you offline a moment ago about how excited I am to finally have college basketball on the program because we've talked college football, but my number one sport of all time is college basketball. So welcome, welcome. Oh, thank you. And I'm thrilled to have like a college basketball season where I can actually go out and watch live games again. So I'm I'm quite happy to be here. (laughs) I know, right? No kidding. So I love the book. We, you know, as I said, we've spoken about football on the show, never basketball. Basketball is my favorite sport, especially college basketball. So you are so at home here. So the title of the book is The Big East Inside the Most Entertaining and Influential Conference in College Basketball History. What makes the Big East so entertaining and so influential? I think, you know, from its inception, I don't want to say it got lucky, but it kind of got lucky. It had some great characters, almost caricatures among its coaching staff, these great, wild, vibrant personalities. Also, though, at the same time, phenomenal players. And together they made this combustible league that was just every game was better than the next. And, you know, at its heyday, it was just the best basketball in the country, kind of taking kids out of the Northeast playgrounds and giving them this platform. And they just ran with it. It was amazing to see how quickly it it leaped off the ground. Yeah, no kidding. So you write in the book, quote, it really was unbelievable. The players too good, the moments too magical, the personalities too oversized and the tales too crazy to possibly be real. And yet it all happened. The ridiculous and the sublime, the sweet shots and the flailing fists, the hijinks and the histrionics. First of all, beautiful writing. So <laughs> thank you. So tell me what made the big East just so big in every sense of the word. Yeah, that's a great way to put it too. It really was big. Um, you know, again, it's some, some part of it was the personalities and the players, but just everything about it was just loud. I think that's the only way I could come up with it. You know, it, off the court that the coaches went after one another and, and behind the scenes, they were constantly bickering and crazy stuff, like practically trying to have fights in the hallway, you know, not crazy stuff. And then on the court, the players are going at it, fisticuffs and and crazy fights on the court. And the fans were so invested because, you know, that was sort of the heart of college basketball. And all of it just takes off on television um, and and they're good. I mean, the teams, none of this works, of course, if the the teams aren't good. They're so talented that it just, it's just unbelievable. Some of the stuff that, that they put together. 
So I love quoting authors to authors. So here I go again. You write, uh, quote, from its inception, what happened behind the scenes was nearly as incredible as what happened in the games. So tell us how the Big East got its start as you write on a handshake and a prayer. And I want to give some context to our listeners who may not be huge basketball fans. The original schools, by the way, were Boston College, Connecticut, UConn, Georgetown, Providence, St. John's, Seton Hall, and Syracuse, which I have to really quickly share my Syracuse story, and then I'll remind you of the question. I am an alum of Kansas, as I told you offline. Syracuse and Carmelo Anthony and Jim Beheim broke my 17-year-old heart in 2003. Actually, it was Kansas's free throws that cost us the championship, but Syracuse took our championship with Roy Williams away from us. So, but that was a huge moment, obviously, for Syracuse in the Big East. Right. Too. But anyway, back mm-hmm. to 1979 and its mm-hmm. formation. This was a basketball conference from the start, right? Yeah, it was. And, and the whole thing started with Dave Gavitt, who was at the time was the Providence athletic director, but had been a coach. So, you know, he was one of them, if you will, one of the coaches, they trusted him. And he saw what the ACC was doing primarily. The ACC was, first of all, luring great Northeast basketball players because they had this great conference and they were on television. And they had a great postseason tournament, none of which the East Coast could offer. So he decided, like, why can't we do this? Um, and he literally, like I said, a handshake and a prayer. I mean, he, he went out and solicited support from athletic directors. Um, he got Syracuse, Bayern, Georgetown, and St. John's first, recognizing the importance of those schools. But the coaches were not necessarily behind it. I mean, they did it kind of because their ADs told them to. But in their mind, things were going to fine, thank you very much. Like, why mess with a good thing? So Without Dave Gavitt's sort of vision and his insistence, none of this happens. Um, and it's funny because in retrospect, obviously it all made such great sense, right? I mean, why wouldn't these teams want to work together? But, you know, pe- people couldn't see that at the time. They, they were perfectly content thinking that we have control of things. Why mess up a good thing? Not understanding how much better it could become. Yeah, so let's let's talk stats here for a minute because in basketball we love our stats. So it since its inception in 1979, nine national champions have come from the Big East. Five of its coaches are members of the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame, and seven of its players are enshrined in the Hall of Fame as well. But as you say, what makes the league truly special can't be summarized in a statistic. So what does make the league truly special? I think it was that it was so gripping for, it was almost like made for TV, right? It was like a reality show in some yeah. regard. It wasn't just, it wasn't just a good basketball game. There was such histrionics going on on the sidelines between the coaches. And as I said, with the players and the way that it captured um, a national audience was unprecedented because at the time basketball was pretty regionalized, but it, it became national because of the big East and the partnership with ESPN. Um, and that had never happened before. So I think that was part of it. And, and the dominance, I mean, you don't go from 1979 not existing to 1985 having three out of the four, four in the final four. I mean, it's unbelievable mm. the way that that league just took off and overtook the sport, really, if you think about it. And, you know, you have New York and all these people coming to the garden eventually. There was so much that, that worked. I mean, like I said, I hate to say they were lucky, but in some regards, they just were beneficiaries of great timing because – you know, yeah. Patrick Ewing, Pearl Washington, Chris Mullen coming of age. There's so many things that went right for them. Yeah. So, so I have so many things to ask you, but I want to cycle back um, 
really quick to Dave Gavitt. So, but first UConn's coach, Jim Calhoun, who was there for, for such a long time called the conference camp Camelot with bad language. <laughs> um, Great. Isn't that a, I was like, if we could have like figured out a way to make that work, that was going to be like the subtitle for the book. Cause it was just, it's so perfect. It's such a perfect line. So perfect. And speaking of beautifully written words, you write in the big East beneath the curse, the cussing and name calling ran a river of respect. So I want to cycle back for a minute to a man you mentioned earlier, Dave Gavitt. Uh, this is one of the conference's most respected, if not the most respected man. Who is Dave Gavitt? You mentioned he was Providence's athletics director, but who is he and, and what was his impact on the conference? I mean, he was everything. He really was. Um, he was a coach growing, coming up. You know, as I said, he, he's a basketball coach. So he was among them. He, he had connections through his coaching and his athletic directing at Providence with everybody in East Coast basketball, from the athletic directors to the coaches. They all knew Dave and they all respected him. And he was sort of like a, a manipulator sounds nasty. It sounds like it, it, it's bad, you know, bad intention. It's not. He, but he was very good at massaging people. He yeah. knew how to get people to see things they didn't want to see right like john thompson called him a huddler he would huddle people and try to like you know say you know here here comes this idea that i have and jim Beheim talked about like you know he'd come down the hallway and you'd be like i don't know what he's going to tell me but i know i'm going to agree with it so he was a <laughs> great salesperson if you will who also had a vision um that nobody else had that was really risky because again the ecac was this great big umbrella league that kind of governed all the northeast conference Northeast schools, and it was working all right. I mean, teams were getting NCAA tournament bids; they were getting ranked. There was nothing wrong with it. It was just he thought it could be better, and it was really risky to kind of convince these leagues because if it doesn't work, which you know, in hindsight, how couldn't it? But if it didn't work, it was going to be his name and reputation. So he was everything, and the amount of respect that he received, it's unbelievable. I mean, how much respect across the board people had you know everyone from John Thompson Jr. who was difficult on his best days you know all the way down to Bill Raftery the, the nicest man in America they all love Dave Gavitt which is why it worked yeah so only two years after the, the league's inception here comes Patrick Ewing in 1981 at Georgetown he's hailed as the most important player in the history of the league period. Any basketball fan knows who Patrick Ewing is, but what was his impact on Georgetown and on the conference as a whole? Yeah, I think we had to put it in context at the time. Patrick Ewing was the best player in the country, bar none. He was a once in a generation type talent, which of course he proved to be through the course of his NBA career. But mm -hmm. at the time in high school, you know, he's this great post player with just killing people in Boston. Just everyone was, everyone wanted Patrick Ewing. He got recruited by UCLA, which at the time was at the height of its power. Everyone wanted Patrick Ewing. And here comes Georgetown uh, in this brand new league with a coach who, you know, John Thompson was good, but he was a high school coach coming into Georgetown. It wasn't like he was the John Thompson that we knew him as. Yeah. So here's Patrick being recruited and wooed by everybody, but he chooses to stay close to home go to Georgetown and play in this league that is just getting started. And it sent this message of you can succeed here as a player. And the day he committed to Georgetown, John Thompson Jr. called Dave Gavitt and said, you know, Patrick is coming. And Dave Gavitt turned to Mike Trangisi, his second in command, and said, we can take this tournament, the Big East tournament, that is, to New York City. He knew he could sell tickets, namely because of Patrick Ewing. And and he, because Patrick Ewing lived up to the billing, of course, 
he changed the entire recipe for the league. He really did. Nobody else had a bigger impact as a player than Patrick Ewing. I would agree. I would agree. So then, you know, talking about milestone moments in the 80s, in 1986, you've mentioned this a moment ago, the Big East becomes the first conference to sign an exclusive deal with ESPN. So now we're, we're taking it to the airwaves. What was yeah. the impact of that? Yeah, and it's funny, like I said, I keep saying they were lucky, and that sounds kind of like I'm, you know, damning them with faint praise, but they sort of what were. I mean, ESPN is sort of being born as an equally crazy idea in all sports network 24 hours like everyone's like are you crazy like no one's gonna watch that you know and, and at the time nobody thought that they would and Mike Trangisi went to like a muddy field in the middle of Connecticut to negotiate a deal with ESPN which essentially had like two trailers it was so mom and pop but ESPN needed content and the league needed a, a TV affiliate so they they worked for one another but then they go national and Big Monday becomes must-watch television if you're a sports fan. You know, Mike Hopkins, who was the associate head coach at Syracuse for years, grew up in California. And he told me a story about riding home on, from school on his bike, you know, West Coast time, to get home in time for Big Monday games. He's out in California, but the Big East resonated so much mm. that kids in California wanted to watch it. So the branding that we all like to talk about today, that helped the Big East across the board. I mean, people knew Big East basketball because it was on ESPN. Yeah. Yeah. It brought a conference to, to the whole world, really. Right. Yeah. Right. hundred so, percent. So Dave Gavitt died in 2011. Why did his death, as you say, signify the end of the Big East as fans knew it? Well, at the time, the Big East was sort of transitioning if you will anyway um you know they'd always had this sort of difficult marriage because some schools played football and some did not and so always trying to make that work was messy because you know the needs were different and as football sort of exploded and football sort of guided the the money if um as everything is always guided by money as football guided the money it made things equally difficult and dave dying you know he kind of knew what was coming. He, he tried to get Penn State in 1980s and, and it didn't work. He saw what could happen. Mm -hmm. And I think it was one of those things that was sort of like, here's the heart of the Big East has passed away and the essence of the Big East is now being challenged. And as we all know later, slowly but surely, it kind of got picked away and henpecked to death before it pretty much disappeared. And then a, kind of like a phoenix out of the ashes reformed itself. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, where does the Big East stand today in 2021? Yeah, I mean, look, anybody who tries to say it's the same as lying, it's not. I mean, it's a great conference, but is it like what it was in its heyday? No, it's it's different. I mean, it's, it's just, it is. You can't not say it's not, but they were smart enough to recognize who they were in the middle of all this conference realignment. They said, okay, time out. We don't want to be killed anymore. We're going to be a basketball school. And the irony is they fell apart because of realignment, but they're probably the most secure conference in the country right now because there is no football people coming to peck away at their members because there's no football to take. Well, my they conference are, is falling apart. The Big 12 exactly. is falling apart. So, Yeah, and, and everybody is, or everyone's sort of not falling apart, trying to desperately stay alive and taking on teams that probably aren't making them better. And the Big East tried that for a while. I mean, the list of schools that were in the Big East for five minutes, five minutes is endless. Like, you know, Tulane, Temple, Memphis, it was insane. And finally, they're like, no, 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 time out. We're basketball. We're done. And so now they have this identity. They're not going to get picked up apart by other leagues. 
they're succeeding. Villanova has won two national championship uh, championships and since they formed. They're getting regular NCAA tournament bids in large numbers. They are every bit as successful and competitive as any league in the country in the sport of basketball, which yep. is all they need to be. Yeah, and that's all that's all they, you know, originally wanted to be, right? They just yep, wanted to be exactly. for basketball. So it's it's has stood the test of time. Hundred percent, full circle, and you know, re-adding UConn back into the fold kind of brought that sort of name brand, uh, you know, alliance again to them. It was right for UConn. It was right for the Big East. And yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of funny. It's the way they reformed is almost the way they formed initially. Like, okay, we got to figure this out. It was kind of a lot of handshake agreements that they're running around. We don't have money. We don't have an office. We don't have a checking account. But we're going to make this work. Right. And it worked. It worked. Well, my last question for you, Dana, is why was writing this book so important to you? And what do you hope readers get out of it? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I was shocked when a, a book agent reached out to me about doing this, that a, a story on the Big East, had, a book hadn't been done already. I assumed, my goodness, this had to be covered, right? right. And it wasn't. Um, so I thought it was important because, number one, there's such great stories and characters and it's entertaining as all get out. So people would enjoy it. I mean, that's kind of part of what I want them to get, just the sheer fun of this league. But because of the impact that the league had on college basketball and that we still see today, you know, something you know, conference tournaments being like a big deal. That was because of Dave Gavitt, you know, all of these things, television packages, that was because of Dave Gavitt. I just felt like people needed to understand sort of where this whole thing started. I mean, I'm not saying the Big East launched college basketball period, but it, it sure launched it into a new trajectory. Okay. And I think that's worth remembering. Absolutely. The book is great. It is the most wonderful time of the year. It is college basketball season right now. Thank God for it. So this is the perfect book <laughs> to read at the perfect time. The Big East inside the most entertaining and influential conference in college basketball history is out now. I'm so glad we got to do this today. Thank you. Thank you. It was absolutely a blast. I really appreciate you having me on. I loved our conversation, Dana. Thank you. I recorded this conversation while in Nashville, where I saw Katie Couric live on her book tour this week. It was such a magical night. Any event at the Ryman in Nashville is spectacular, but seeing my inspiration to get into journalism along with the song performed by Brad Paisley just topped it all off. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually off to go read Katie's book, Going There, but we'll be back on Monday with a bombshell interview with Lana Turner, speaking about her new book, Little Sister and the Mysterious Death of Natalie Wood, which unbelievably happened 40 years ago this month. Talk soon. <laughs>